and peace from God, our Father, and our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our meditation tonight, it's two little words taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And those two little words are these two little words, by faith. Well, the sermon tonight is all about faith. It has to be about faith, can't be about anything else. Didn't you hear our scripture reading? The writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 uses the same two words, not once, not twice, but 11 times, by faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. Moses gets four by faith. By faith, the people of Israel. By faith, the walls of Jericho. By faith, Rahab. Eleven times in 14 verses. This sermon has to be about and must be about and can't be about anything else other than faith. And you should be good with that. You shouldn't have a problem with that at all. Because you are Christians, aren't you? And that means that by definition, you are a person of faith. I want to hear you say that. I want to hear that come from your lips once. So uh, repeat after me. I am a person of faith. Ready? I am a person of faith. Say it again. I am a person of faith. Yeah. That's exactly who you are, and that's what I am too. But what does that truly mean? I mean, there's hundreds of definitions of faith floating around out there these days. What does it really mean to be a person of faith? And so we go to the Word of God, don't we? We open up the Bible. In our text, in the original Greek, the two words by faith are really one word in the Greek. The word pistis, okay, which we translate as faith, but literally it means the state of complete dependability, trust, or certainty. And for me, the key word is complete. All right, so when Jesus talks about these little ones who believe in me, he uses the word pistis, and he's talking about that, that complete and total faith that only children uh, seem to have. When Paul refers that to the righteous uh, shall live by faith, that's what he's talking about. Real faith, Christian faith, your faith, complete dependability, trust, and certainty. All right, now let me ask you this. In your life, of what or of whom are you completely certain? To whom or to what do you give your absolute trust? And maybe you've never thought about that before, but I want you to think about it now. Of what are you totally certain? Well, the old saying is that there's only three things in life that are certain death, taxes, and the Vikings will never win the Super Bowl. But what about you? Of what are you absolutely certain? Are you certain of your next heartbeat? Are you certain of your next meal? 
your next birthday, or, or that someday you'll actually cash a social security check? Are you certain that your friends don't talk about you behind your back? Are you certain that you'll pass your driver's test this next week on the first try? Are you certain that your boss won't let you go next Monday morning? People put their faith in lots of things, don't they? Like believing that Alexa knows the answer to everything. But the list of people and things that a person will trust totally, completely, with no reservations, no strings attached, no fine print, no exceptions, no lawyers involved, that list is rather short. And this is where the object of your faith comes in. This is where the object of your faith is of vital uh, importance. The object of your faith is more important than the amount of your faith. I'm going to say that again. The object of your faith is more important than the amount of your faith. For example, you can put a ton of faith, all your faith, in the thin ice that you're walking across while trying to ice fish in the first week of December, but the odds are pretty good that you're going to get wet. On the other hand, another fisherman might have very little faith in the two feet of ice that his iceman boots are standing upon, but he will remain high and dry. Get it? The object of your faith, in whom, in what you trust, it matters. It makes all the difference. All right, let's backtrack for a second, go back to the beginning of the sermon. You're a Christian, you're a person of faith, the heart and core of your Christian faith, who God is, how you are saved, why you are forgiven, why you know that you have a place in heaven waiting for you, the foundation of your Christian faith does not rest on you or anything that's human or worldly or finite or changeable like human intellect and human reason and human philosophy or technology. Billy Graham once said, faith is the only avenue of salvation, not intellectual understanding, not money, not your works, just simple faith. How much faith? The faith of a mustard seed, so small you can hardly see it. But if you put that little faith in the person of Jesus, your life will be changed. Oh yes, you are a person of faith, a Christian which means that the entire foundation and bedrock and rebar and cement columns and support beams of your Christian faith, it's God and nothing else. Luther said, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace so sure and certain that the believer would stake his life on it a thousand times. And that's pretty cool, isn't it? Martin Luther Billy Graham, for them, God and his son, Jesus Christ, that's the one and only Christian foundation. But were those two spiritual giants right? Were they correct? Is God worthy? Is God worthy of being the only object and foundation of your faith? Is God completely reliable? Can you trust what he says? Can you believe in the Bible? Can you count on God? Well, let's look at the reviews, shall we? And I've used this illustration before. I like it. 
before you click the purchase button on Amazon, before you put your faith in a product you've never touched, you've never seen uh, with your eyes, faith enough to send Jeff Bezos more of your hard-earned money, what do you do? You read the product reviews and determine whether or not the product, the object of your faith, is reliable. Look at our text again. These verses from Hebrews chapter 11, they're nothing more than product reviews of God's trustworthiness from satisfied customers. By faith Abraham, by faith Isaac, by faith Jacob, by faith uh, Joseph. Come to think of it, the entire Bible is just one review after another of God's total, unchanging reliability, dependability, and trustworthiness. That's what the Bible is. Hey there, Adam and Eve. Hey there, Noah. Hey there, Elijah. Hey, John the Baptist, Mary Magdalene, the woman at the well. Come on now, Peter, James, John, thief on the cross, the apostle Paul. Listen up, all you Bible folks. I got a question for you. Is your God, is Jesus Christ totally worthy of your trust? What do you think those Bible superstars would say? You know what they say. They lived it, okay? Or, if you want to sum it up a different way, here's another quote from Luther who said this. He said, I know not the way God leads me, but well do I know my guide. God is worthy. Object of your faith, more important than the amount of your faith. You can say that the main message of the Bible is that God is worthy that he's worthy of your trust in him. God's the only object, only foundation your faith needs. It doesn't need you. You don't have to su uh, supplement your faith with anything. And here's the thing. God doesn't need you to forgive you. What do you think about that? He doesn't need you to save you or to get you from this life to the next. And Satan hates that. He absolutely hates it when you put your complete trust in God. In fact, one of Satan's tried and true favorite temptations is to entice you to believe that God is not a dependable object of your faith, that God needs a little help from you when it comes to spiritual truth and salvation. And Satan will tempt you to supplement and to water down your trust in God with other things with man-made things. I don't believe that God is powerful enough to create everything from nothing, so I'm also going to trust in the theories of Charles Darwin, too. I don't believe that Christ's suffering and death and resurrection are enough for my forgiveness, so I'm going to trust in my own ability to impress God with just how wonderful I am. Or I know what God says about the issues of the day, I know what God says about how he wants me to live my life. I know what he says about marriage and family and sexuality and abortion and human clothing, euthanasia and all the rest. But you know, somehow it's easier to drink the cultural Kool-Aid than to trust in my God completely. It's hard, isn't it? It is so hard. You're living in a time when it's growing increasingly difficult to be a Christian, to be a person of faith, 
to trust in God completely, but that trust is so worth it. It's so worth it, and not just for the obvious spiritual benefit, you know, that's true, but there's also here and now benefit from trusting God completely. Here's what I mean. I'm going to give you one more Luther quote tonight. I know this is number three. I'm going to throw this in. Don't charge. It's an add-on. Okay, I like this one. Luther once said this. He said, you have as much laughter as you have faith. What did Luther mean by that? You see, if you want to have less stress in your life, give God your faith, give him your life completely. If you want to strip from your life you know, the burden of constant worry about this, about that, and about the other thing, you put your trust in God totally. If you desire relief from the chains of guilt that you've been dragging around in your life like Marley's ghost, then make Jesus and his cross your one and only spiritual foundation. And do you know what's left? Do you know what's left when stress and worry and guilt are purged away from your daily living? Why, all of a sudden, you have room for laughter. So what do you think? You're a Christian. You are a person of faith. God must be the only object of that Christian faith of yours. What do you think about that? Is God worthy? Amen. And the peace in Christ that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.